then we're going to go into just a little talk with Jesus. So y'all be ready for this. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and long. There's
Okay, get our ushers to come forward, please. We're going to go ahead and continue on with When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, No Other Name, and There is a Fountain.
want to say good morning to everyone. Glad you're here. This morning, we're going to be going over Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. So if you would, go ahead and start turning your Bibles over to there. Um, before we begin, I just want to just, just to say that, as everyone knows, August 3rd, there was a, a country experience, a horrific tragedy with the shootings in El Paso. The, the shootings in Ohio. Uh, please be in prayer for those communities, for, for those families that were affected by that, because um, they need our prayers, they need our love, and as they go through the healing process with all, all the people that were lost, injured. So please just continue to pray for them. Ask God just to be with them as, as they deal with the aftermath of those tragedies. If you're there, uh, to those uh, verses, if you would please stand as we read God's Word. And go along there with me. It is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for bringing us all here together today to worship you. Thank you for this opportunity just to be here as a fellowship of believers. Lord, I pray that the the hearts will be open today, that the Holy Spirit will move within this church, and that someone's life will be touched today in a way that will make a drastic change in their life. And that if they are struggling with anything, Father, I pray that uh, the words that you have given me, they just hear something that will really help them with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give you a little backstory of what we'll be going over today. Paul wrote the letter to Rome around 57 A.D., which was about 20 years after his conversion. That's whenever he had uh, changed his life dramatically from being a persecutor of Christians to going and teaching people about the grace of, of Jesus. Now, when Paul wrote Romans, he had yet to be in Rome. Now, he was a Roman citizen. He had actually never been to the actual city of Rome. You understand how big the Roman Empire was at the time. Pretty much all the known world was Rome. It covered everything, Middle East, all the way toward the Mediterranean. So it was, it was huge. And what Paul wanted to do, his biggest desire when he wrote the, the book of Romans, was, was to bring all the Jewish and Gentile Christians that were in Rome, he would bring them together. He wanted to unite them in the gospel. And what he also wanted to do, he wanted to use Rome, the city of Rome, as the base of operations as his springboard to go to Spain and to preach the gospel there in, in, in hope that he would eventually be able to go across other parts of Europe as well. And I give a little backstory as well of, of what, if you've read through the book of Romans, uh, it's kind of, when Paul wrote this, he kind of didn't set kind of broke it up 
to the point that you can make a little more understanding and can really explain what the gospel was. The first three chapters, Paul introduces himself, tells who he is, that way people understand. Because you're going to talk to someone. If someone were to talk to you and want to explain something to you, it's kind of good to know who they are, right? What their background is, where they came from. And he, after he tells who he is, he begins his lesson talking about sin, explaining what sin is. He, he talks about how we're all sinners, no matter who you are, no matter where you work, doesn't matter how big a house you have, where you went to school, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners. Then he moves on to the next two chapters, and this is where Paul starts talking about the encouragement of grace, about the encouragement Jesus provides for us. Uh, he talks about how Jesus died on the sick, on the cross for our sins, how he, he took that burden upon himself. Then as he moves along, uh, he talks about on chapter 6 and chapter, through chapter 8, how we are set apart. When you become a Christian, you are set apart in the world, as in you are an ambassador of Jesus. You're an ambassador of God to go and tell people about what Jesus did do in their life. Difference, it changed. Finally, the last five chapters of Romans, uh, what he talks about is the behavior we as Christians are supposed to have. So, what, how are we supposed to act in our lives? How we're supposed to treat people? How we're supposed to love each other? That's kind of the reason that I titled this message today is What's Love Got to Do With It? And no, I'm not going to sing. I know I have this Josh Brooks mic on this morning. Uh, I'm not going to be singing the Tina, Tina Turner song, so don't worry. But uh, <laughs> you, you don't want to see that either. I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, no, but you know, what's love got to do it? Everything, everything that we do as Christians is about loving each other, loving other people. It, it's about understanding and looking at what Jesus did for us when He died on the cross. Out of love, He sacrificed Himself. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you look back at verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, when you receive Jesus into your heart, there's, there's a change that happens within you. Your, your life changes. Your outlook on life changes. What you hold important in your life, what you see as the direction of your life changes. You know, the way you look at people, person you may have been injured at for whatever reason, if you accept Jesus, you truly grasp hold of what he has done for you in your life and understand the love that he has with you, your outlook changes. If you look at the first part of this verse, it says, let love be genuine. Now, I know New King James Version, it says, be without hypocrisy. Our love for one another should be real, indisputable. When you think of love and how the Bible talks about love, one of the words you hear a lot about is translated agape. Agape, that's like the ultimate love. That's the love God has for us. And that's how we should model our love for each other is that enormous amount of love. Regardless of who they are or, what, or anything, we should love everybody. God says to love your enemies. And that can be difficult. I I'm going to be the first to tell you sometimes I'm getting mad, upset with people. It's hard to say, I'm upset, I'm mad, you've done me wrong, but I still love you. 
But especially me, Archie loves everybody. No matter the hurt they've caused, no matter who they are, love them. If Jesus could love me enough to send his son to the cross and to die, then I can love somebody regardless of what they've done to me. Now, in the world today, a lot of times you don't see much love when stuff happens, the bad stuff that's going on. I just talked about what happened August 3rd with those two individuals going and one in El Paso going to Walmart and just shooting random people, killing them. Simply because he didn't like a certain group of people. The one in Ohio was outside of a, a club and shot people randomly. Still, I'm sure they're still trying to figure out what, what the real purpose of both of those instances are. And it's going to take some time to figure it all out. And they might not ever figure it out. But the point is, there was hate somewhere that those two individuals had that wasn't really love. It was, just, it was absence. We need to live a life that reflects outwardly the love that we have received from God. We must be sincere and not imitation in our Christian life. I heard that recently when someone was talking about how we are to, to live and how to be imitation Christians. And I'm not pointing fingers there's been times I've been upset, I'll admit, and I say, hey, I love you, and I appreciate what you do, but thought it comes across my mind, and you made me really mad, I don't even want to look at your face, and I admit that, but you also have that conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, no, that's the wrong outlook, that's not how you're supposed to look at somebody, you're supposed to love them. God would look, would be, when he looks at us, he's looking at the love that we have for each other. He's not looking at our accomplishments. You could be the most successful businessman. You could have the largest bank account in town. But that doesn't matter to God. What God cares about is how we love each other and how we follow his direction, how we live our lives for him. And it's part of that verse that says, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That word abhor, it's not really used a whole lot anymore. But that's a really strong word. It, that, it could be also another way to use, another word to use in that phrase would be despise, to loathe, to be repulsed by. Those are pretty strong words. That's, that's uh, if you are repulsed by someone, if you are you loathe someone, that's, that's not a very nice thing to think about. And they must have really done something bad to you if you feel that way towards them. And when it comes to evil, God tells us that we are to hate evil. In Psalm 97.10, here we see David actually said, says, David said, hate evil. Once again, hate, that's one of those big words too, is hate. I hate evil. We can still love people, but hate evil. Think about that. We are to love each person regardless of what they've done and what they do. We don't have to like what they do. They could be an evil person. They could have done us wrong, done something to hurt us. But it's that act of evilness that we, we don't like and we hate. It's not that person. Because just like I'm redeemable, just like Pastor Norm, just like Joe, we're all redeemable regardless of what we've done in our past. Now, along with that, we have to be careful about in our lives, how we live. You can't really live 
on that fine edge of, of what sin is and what evil is. And say, I'm okay, I can skirt that edge. I, I'm okay, I see what, what's going on, I see that bad stuff. I could kind of, I could teeter on the edge of that. It's not going to be a big deal. We can't really do that because God doesn't want us there. God doesn't want us to have that potential temptation to sin. Those desires of the flesh that, that some people go out and they want to drink a lot and get drunk, and they think that's that's the thing to do. In the army, I saw that a lot. You know, that you are in the army or troops in the army, you probably attest to the to the culture in the military of drinking on the weekends or partying with the platoon or with the friends. That's kind of the culture. God doesn't like that. He doesn't like people that going to go and. and Treat their bodies that way because our bodies are a temple. God created us with to use what we have, including our bodies, to glorify Him. And other things is like foul language, cursing, using profanity. God doesn't like that either. Using drugs, sexual morality, those types of evils, God doesn't like that. But we should never put ourselves in a position to where those temptations of the world can affect how we act in our life. We should try to stay away from that. When we purposely do that, and we think it's okay, and we say, oh, well, I'm saved. I can do that. It's okay. That's, that's not true. It's not okay to continue to sin in a way that you know is a sin. It's like a slap in the face to God. And, and for lack of better works. You know, God, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He took the weight of that. He took that punishment. He took that pain for our sins. And when we, we say we are Christians, when we say we've accepted Jesus into our hearts, but yet we still live for the world and we still sin like we did and we still do all those things we did prior to us saying we're saved, it's kind of a lie, really, if you think about it, because have we really changed? When you accept Jesus in your heart, you change. You become a new person. You have a new direction in your life. Now, sometimes in, in the world, it's not always easy to stay away from evil. I mean, we can't just close ourselves off and never be around evil, simply because the world is evil. You know, we live in a fallen world. You know, we can't really all come together and live here in the sanctuary. It would be, one, some people probably will take shower eventually. You know, can't really all live inside here. We have to get out. We have to be part of the world. But there's a difference between living in the world and living of the world. There's a difference there. You can be around evil, but not give in to evil. You know, if you think about doctors, you think about nurses, and the way they're around evil a lot. They, doctors and nurses are living in ER, or they work in ER. They have evil disease. I don't call it evil kind of what it is. I mean, anything that's going to attack your body and, and harm you, it's, it's evil. And regardless of the like those individuals that unfortunately were shot and killed in the shooting, that, just, that evil is there. Doctors and nurses, you know, there's things that they could do to protect themselves from those evils, such as, you know, think about men, meningitis. Very, very bad disease to get. You know, it's, it's very easy to catch that. You got the, the flu. You know, the flu is really bad. Flu's killed people. They take countermeasures to protect themselves. You know, they wear the rubber gloves. 
They wear masks on their face. It helps keep from spreading any kind of diseases and anything that can harm other people. If you ever watch, if you if you are a nurse, if you work as a nurse, if you've seen the shows, like doctors and nurses, different shows, the way as much time as they spend scrubbing on their hands or their arms, I'm surprised they have skin. I don't understand how in the world they can scrub that much. But, hey, they do it because they don't want you spreading. And that's kind of, they don't want to spread the evil, the diseases that could be around them. The police do the same thing. Police officers every day, they never know what they're going to encounter. They could pull somebody over for speeding. They could be a really good encounter. They could say, I apologize for speeding. I know I was wrong. Yeah. Or they could pull somebody over that maybe stole that car and they're running for something, and it's the end of that police officer's life. That's happened. That's the evil I'm talking about. Sometimes they are around evil, and they just they can count on evil. You have to do those things to protect yourself from evil. Just like the nurses, just like the doctors do. Police officers, they wear vests to protect them from getting shot. They have the training so that if they do encounter something bad, how to, how to react. In the military, we do the same thing. I say we, we do. I think once you're a soldier, you're always a soldier. Just like Mr. Chad's heard, once a Marine, always a Marine. If you've served in the military, whether it's for two years or 25 years, you're still a military man. You're a veteran. So, you know, the, the vest for when I was in that we wore, those plates could take a lot. That body armor could take a lot. And we do that to protect ourselves from evil. Yes, I see Chad's excited about being a Marine back there. I see it coming across. <laughs> so when we encounter these evil things, we have to really be careful of what we do and how we live. You gotta understand, when Jesus picked his disciples, he didn't go and find the best people he could find. That's not, that wasn't his goal. His goal, he wanted to keep what? Everyone is a sinner. Everyone can be redeemed. So I'm going to go pick the common people. You may have heard me say it before. You know, one of the disciples of Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, even today, we want to imagine everyone in here doesn't like paying taxes, has to pay a lot of taxes. It was even worse back when Jesus was walking the earth. I mean, pretty much everything someone made, they had to give to the tax collector. That was Matthew. No one liked him, but yet Jesus chose him for a purpose, for a reason. So, in order to, to, to really walk that fine line, we have to cling onto what is good, what is wholesome, what pleases God in our life, and the actions we do. And doing this helps us want to love people more. When we realize that the living for God is the most important thing, it allows us to be able to love each other more. It allows us to be able to create that relationship between each other. It helps us to not fall in the trap of living in a sinful, evil world. If you look at verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. How do one another with showing honor? That phrase there, love one another with brotherly affection. What that's kind of saying is we are to love everybody as their our family. Now, 
if you think about your own family, I just give me an example of mine. My younger brother, he's done a lot of stuff in his life that's wrong. He's made some really poor decisions. And now he's paying the penalty for it. And I know he's regretful. I talk to him. You know, I tell him I love him. I tell him I'm praying for him. He's still my brother. I'm not going to be mad at him because he chose the wrong things, and now he's having to spend time in jail. And he's away from his daughter. I'm not mad at him. I love him because he is my brother, because he is my family. And that's kind of how we have to look at at each other, everyone in this room. We need to love each other as family. Families love each other in a very unique way. You stand up for your family. Even if they make you mad, even if they've done something to the point that you don't even want to look at their face, you don't even want to be around them, right? But yet, you hear somebody talking bad about that person. Someone talking bad about my brother, I'd be upset, I'd be mad, I'd stand up for him. He's my brother. I love him. That's the kind of love we should have for each other. That's the kind of love you should have for everybody in this sanctuary right now. You know, in families, you put members of the family sometimes above the happiness of yourself. Right? That's how we kind of got to be. If you have to be a little uncomfortable to take care of the person to your left or right because they're in need, I'd be more than happy to be a little uncomfortable and try to bother you because I'm loving that person. I'm doing what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm doing what God has told me to do, which is to love one another as I love myself. We should have kindly, compassionate, unyielding love for each other. First Peter 2.17, we read, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. The brotherhood Peter is talking about here is he's talking about the church. The brotherhood, the sisterhood of the church, of the members of the church. And I mean, it sounds kind of vague, but I think what he's really trying to say, you have to really look at it, is that it doesn't matter the skin color of the person. It doesn't matter what country they're from. It doesn't matter their social status. We are to love each other regardless. During the uh, run-up to the 2016 election, while the uh, candidates for the Republican ticket, when they were up there, there was a lot of them. Ben Carson was on there in one of the debates. And he was asked about race relations, how he would attack this uh, this current climate of race relations. And this is, this is what he said, I quote, I was asked by an NPR reporter once, why don't I talk about race that often? I said, it's because I'm a neurosurgeon. He thought that was a strange response. So I explained, you see, when I take someone to the operating room, I'm actually operating on the thing that makes them who they are. Their skin doesn't make them who they are. Their hair doesn't make them who they are. I think that's an important thing to think about. What is on the outside of the individual isn't that important. What's on the outside of you isn't that important. It's what you have internally. What's in your heart? What's your thought process when you look at a person? That's what comes back to that change of heart, that change of life that comes when you accept Christ as Lord. You look beyond the outside appearance. You look beyond what they are doing. You just look at their soul. You think, hey, that person, God loves them. I'm going to love them because they deserve it. Just like I deserve it, they deserve God's love. And if they don't know about God, they don't know about Jesus, 
My job is to tell them about this. My job is to tell them that there's a Savior that loves them. My job is to tell them that there's a better way for me to be. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Now, when it comes to one thing I like there is to talk about serving the Lord. When, and, and when it comes to our devotion to God, there should be no lagging in that. We should be 100%. There should be no, oh, well, I'm not feeling good today. I think I'm just going to going to not do anything today. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm, I'm going to postpone it. We should, we should, in priority, give ourselves over to the things of God. Be diligent. Christians should not be procrastinators. Now, I'm not pointing fingers because my wife will tell you sometimes I procrastinate to the point I think she wants to throw a book or a pen or something at me. Because of that. I, uh, so I fully admit that. But, that's why God put this on my heart today to remind me not to procrastinate. We should be proactive in doing what God has created us to do. God has created us to live for Him, live for His kingdom. Now, there's only so much time given to us to walk on earth and to serve God. We're limited. And we don't know how long that's going to be. Now, Jamie's grandmother, my wife, is 93 now. She'll get up, walk around, and she'll tire you out walking, watching her go around and do stuff at 93 years old. And she's still going strong. And she's happy, she's blessed, and I love her. But she does make me tired sometimes watching. But uh, she's been around for a long time, and she's seen a lot. Now those individuals that got shootings in El Paso, they were going there, you know, school supplies. There were some young kids that lost their lives. We never know how long we have here on earth. We have no idea. So we should take every opportunity, every chance we have to serve God. we got to make the most of the time that we have here. Now, hopefully, you have goals in place as to how you're going to live your life and how you're going to serve God. It could be something great and big, like you want to go on a mission trip. Or it could be simply you have you come up with your own plans for your your own personal Bible study, or you you figure you thought about okay I want to pray for these certain people each day. Now an example of, of a plan of a goal that you have is I listen to K Love drink all the time. That's not I mean in fact I've told my wife and daughter that I don't want anything else in my truck play but K Love and. Uh, one thing that they do is every so often they do the K-Love 30-Day Challenge. Well, the goal of that is to listen to nothing but Christian music for 30 days straight. Don't listen to any other type of music because that's going to help, one, get your mind focused on what's important, which is God. And it's going to help you really kind of grow, honestly, in your walk with Christ because you're hearing those encouraging words. You're hearing people praise God. You're going to hear those songs, and you're going to start singing along. And I do that in my truck, not outside too often hearing that stuff. Now, question, what is your plan for personal ministry? Something to, answer, that's something to think about. What's your plan for your personal ministry? 
go and talk to people about Jesus, and you volunteer. It's, I mean, you, you take the opportunity to go and, and help people when they're in need. And we have people here in this church right now that on their off time, when they're not working, they come and they do stuff with the church. They do stuff in the community. We have, we have a lady that comes and she fills those, in the back of all those seats, those, those prayer cards, those pens, that paper. She comes and does that on her off time. She volunteers to do that. We have people that volunteer at the Baptist Benevolence Meeting. You know, we have ladies that go and volunteer at nursing homes. We have someone that goes to the Hope Training Center down the street and volunteers their time. And even the, even the maintenance around here, it's all on a volunteer basis. The point I'm saying is that's the personal ministry of God. That's how they view their ministry. When you look at your personal ministry, how you're ministering to people, that doesn't mean you have to come and stand and preach a sermon. That doesn't mean you have to be come and sing as part of the choir, part of the worship team. Your personal ministry is how you interact with people, how you tell people about Jesus, how you live your life where people see Jesus in you. If the entire church here today was filled up with people exactly like you, what would this church be like? Think about that. Would this would this church be full of happy, God-fearing people? Or would it be people that procrastinate? Would it be full of people that know they could do more, but they just don't? Are we giving our all, or are we lagging in commitment? God says, God says it is a reasonable thing to give it your all, because God surely did for us. He, he gave His Son on the cross. One of the biggest hurdles for the world is a loss of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm for what is important. Enthusiasm for what is driven to the elite, driven life of God. Now, we get tired quickly of things that are new. Um, you get a new truck, you get a new car, new home, you're really excited about it. Okay, but eventually that newness wears off. Paul wrote, Galatians 6, 9, he said, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We are all, we should always strive to do good. There should be always something new that we are learning in our walk with Christ. Some new, new encouragement. At first, the, the newness of being saved when you're a newly saved person. It's like an unabated fire. You ever going to every church event? You hear of a Christian concert, you hear of a Christian movie, you're going to be the first one in. You want to hear the songs, you want to see the movie, see the message that's coming through that movie. You have the bumper stickers on your vehicle, you have the stick on your back, let people know that you're a Christian. You have all the t shirts. But eventually, that excitement will begin to fade. Think about it. Kind of maybe you get burned out a little bit. But that's happens to everyone. You know, people get so excited about a new car, upcoming vacation, they you know, plan for a new house. They never, people never quit talking about how, how excited they are, how great their new car is, how much gas mileage you get, how many bedrooms the house has. They talk about every day, every week, month after month. 
But are they excited about that's going to be the yes? Are they as excited about Operation Christmas Child in these few months for the outreach to the community, missions, whether it's here in Conference Cove or overseas? Are they as excited about that as they are about the materialistic things that they have? Why not? What's Why would you not be as excited about what's going on in this church as you are about the materialistic things? Because those materialistic things are not going to leave this earth. They're going to stay here. We should be boiling over with excitement to do things for God. That should just, we should be filled up with that. That should be our joy in life, is, is to live and to serve God and to do things God wants us to do. This is something we all know. This is pretty kind of one of those cut and dry, black and white things. People are going to go to hell without Jesus in their life. It's the truth. We all know that. Our job is to tell them about Jesus. If you're if you're a Christian, you should want to tell people about Jesus. You know that with Jesus in your life, you're going to heaven. You know that there's going to be better days ahead, and you're not going to go to hell. So you should be excited about it. You should be want to tell people about what Jesus has done in your life, how he's changed you, how you have become a better person. So, you know, the time is now. The time to labor toward that is now. You can't keep putting it off. You can't say, well, I might volunteer at the next event. You know, the time to rest is when we get to heaven. That's when we're going to take a break. Yeah, you got to look at your life. Is your life focused on living for, for God while you're here on earth? Is this, you're going to have that time to, to, to relax when we get to heaven. I'm sure we get up there and Jerome will have a big barbecue at his mansion. We can all go hang out with him and eat some brisket or whatever he's got. But we need to do that work now. We need to do our work here that God has called us to do while we're here on earth. I said earlier, we don't know how long we're going to be here. Just recently, there was two big wrecks on the bridge out here that was on Conference Cove. I'm sure those people didn't think about they were going to have a car wreck that morning when they got up. I'm sure those people that were shot in Ohio, they didn't think they were that was going to be their last day when they went to that place. You never know when your time here is, is done. Make the most of it. Do what God has called you to do. If it's to be a teacher, be the best teacher you can be. If it's to, to, to go and travel around as Dennis does, to, to sing and to, to tell people about Jesus, do the best you can. If it's whatever it is, whatever you are doing, whatever God has called you to do, whatever profession you have, do it the best you can. Don't forget, Jesus is going to be there with you. Take the opportunity to try to speak about Jesus. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.9, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Now, our hearts should be burdened to work for God's kingdom. Serving the Lord is the upward motivation that we have. I say upward motivation. Upward motivation is to get to, get to heaven. So we should work all we can for that. One of the famous preachers, John Wesley, he, for years, he preached three sermons a day. He traveled around different places preaching three sermons a day. 
Now, this is back before automobiles. We didn't have a nice truck, nice car to take him place to place. He either walked or rode a horse. And it's been a very, very many years since I rode a horse, but I still remember it wasn't that comfortable. Um, so I couldn't imagine having to ride a horse mile after mile after mile. And we get off, preach a sermon, get back on the horse, and go the next day. Alexander McLaren, a Baptist minister in England, 1800s. When he was going to his Bible study, he said, I would put on my work boots because it is work. He did this to help him to remember to be diligent in what he's doing, to be diligent in studying the Word of God. And I think about that, and I think about when I was in the Army, I had to put my boots on every day. And that, you know, that's what I wore, my boots every day. When I was deployed and I was walking around Iraq, all those patrols I had to go on, I had on my work boots. That's what Alexander McLean is saying there. He's reminding himself what his job was. And if you think about it, our job is kind of the same thing. We are to study God's Word so we can grow in Christ. But our job also is to tell people about what we're learning. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So, living as a Christian should be challenging at times. I think everyone would agree with that. Living the Christian life can be challenging. We don't always receive you know, and, and get what we want when it comes to that. You know, we pray for people week after week, month after month, and we don't see any change. We don't see anything getting better. Struggling with finances. We pray God will help us get through those difficult times. Sometimes it seems like it never goes away. You know, sometimes we think God doesn't hear our prayers. No. God hears every prayer. He hears everything you say. Our drive, our conviction should be that of knowing and trusting that God is in control. And he, he's going to hear it. And He's going to answer our prayers in His time. We have to learn to, to let go of our desires, what we think is the best thing for our life, and give it to God and say, God, I'm struggling right now. I have, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to lean on you. And I'm going to trust that my prayers will be answered. My pain will be taken away. My bills will be paid because you are faithful and because you love me. And I trust that what is going to happen in my life is what is best for me. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, as Christians, we have a conviction and assurance that one day God will look at us and he's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, that's, you know, if there's anything to look forward to as a Christian, that's definitely a phrase or something you don't want to hear. You, know, you want to hear God look at that, right? Look at you and say, you did a great job serving me while you were laying down. I'm so happy for you. I love you so much for the work that you did. You know, we, as Christians, you know, it can be difficult at times, but we have to remember, we have to keep our mind on the prize that in eternity in heaven with Jesus, we barbecue a drink. We need to be patient in times of tribulation. 
we know God is good, that God doesn't make mistakes. That's, that's perfect. We have to be patient and trust God is in control of our lives. We have to trust that God has provided for us a path to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. God never did promise free from tribulation. Matter of fact, he says there will be tribulation. There will be difficult times in our life. And we can see the difficult times that people have. If you just look, look through the Look throughout the Bible, whether you're reading Old Testament or New Testament. You read of people, person after person, that had to deal with tribulation, that dealt with death, that dealt with being tortured, having everything taken away from them. Job had everything taken away, everything. But he stayed faithful to God. So everyone will have difficulties in their life. That's just, we live in this sinful world. That's just part of it. We're sinful people. We're going to encounter stumbling blocks. And I will say this, that those difficult times, those obstacles that you encounter, that that will help something. That will help your prayer life. And this is the reason I'm saying this. People that have everything, people that have an easy life, that's easy going, they probably don't pray as often as they should. They don't pray very often because they feel like they have it. They're good. You know, they, they have, they pay their bills. They have money to save. They can go on vacation. They can have a nice car, a nice house. They're happy. On the other hand, when you're going through something difficult in your life, that's when people pray more often. That's, what, that's how we should look at it. People pray more when they're having a rough time. Now, when we're praying and we're going through this stuff, one thing to remember is we should rejoice in the hope that one day we will no longer be here on earth, that we will be in heaven, that we're going to be in a place that is better. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no pain. Nothing but love. And walking those streets of heaven is going to be the, the, the best day you could ever have. Perfect weather. You know, I don't think it's going to be 100 and whatever degrees it's going to be today there. You don't have to worry about it snowing, having to try to walk through 10 feet of snow and freeze. It's going to be perfect weather. So this is why we don't stop praying. And, you know, when you do pray, I encourage you, thank God for the stuff that you have. Be thankful for it. Tell God how great it is that you were able to your electric bill so your electricity is on and you have AC and it's hot weather. Tell God you're thankful that you're able to, to, to drive a car to work and have to worry about how you're going to get there. Be thankful for what you have. Verse 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now in the ESV, that's what I'm reading, the ESV translation, it reads, Contribute to the needs of the saints. The New King James Version says, contributing to the needs of the saints. Now, the word distribute speaks of sharing. We have to share what we have. We distribute out to the people around us. Now, it's also the root word for, for the word we use, fellowship. In the early days of the church in Jerusalem, 
church members daily. We come together to fellowship. We come together to eat. We come together just to, to have that camaraderie of having brothers and sisters together. And then here at the Robinson Avenue, we have our fellowship hall in the back. We use it for meals. We use it for events. We come together. And that place is just, like I said, it's a fellowship location. It's a place for us to come together and, and just, just have spend that time together and just be able to say, hey, how are things going? How's how are you feeling today? What can I help you do? First Timothy six eighteen, Paul is, is teaching Timothy, you know, what to do and how to interact with people. And he says, when you're he's talking about you know when you're training people to, to go and, and minister and, and to teach, to be a servant of God. He says they are they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be genuine generous generous and ready to share. Now the word share here is the same word for distribute. Christians, us, we're to share what we have received with others. And when, when, when God has blessed us with stuff in our life, monetarily or whatever it is, we share that. You know, we, we, our good times. We can, if we're good with woodworking, if we're good at welding, if we're good at construction, whatever it is, whatever you are good at, Share that with others. You know, help them out if they are in need. Includes monetary, monetarily through through tithing. Stuff. So, you know, that way the church can use it the best way that you know it can be used. Or volunteer to help with church events. You know, you be sitting out telling people about Jesus that you know that don't know about Jesus. Even if people that are going through difficult times being that shoulder that they can lean on just to be able to, to express their heart out. Not even have to say anything, just there. And they, they know that you're there and they can trust that you're going to listen to them. There needs to be a desire, a willingness for Christians to minister to those within the body of the church. You should want to go. You should want to talk and communicate and, and be around the people of the church. And there's a tremendous benefit from that, from being a part of the local church, there's a big benefit in that. One, it helps you grow in your walk with Christ. It helps you become a better Christian because you're around like-minded people and you're hearing things. And people that, you know, if you're a new Christian, you're a younger Christian, and, and you're struggling with different things, those people that are, I'll, I'll say, more seasoned in their, in their walk, you know, you can really lean on them and talk to them. How do they deal with this? difficult situations in their life. How do they make it through? It's where you can be taken care of in your time of need. You know, sometimes people are hesitant about joining a church. And one uh, one phrase I've, I've heard of is uh, it's called floating. They're floating around church to church. They're looking for that perfect church. That church that fills all their needs. That's not going to happen because every church, just like this one, every church you see in town, every church you see in Killeen, they all have one thing in common. They're full of sinners. We're all sinners. And you kind of that's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is for sinners to come together and say, hey, I'm a sinner, and I know that. 
but I have Jesus in my life. I have been forgiven of my sins, and I've become a better person. I've become a new person. Now, if anyone here, I'm not pointing to you, but if anyone here can say, feels like they could say, I haven't sinned all week. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, I'm letting you know right now, you're lying. So that's a sin, so there you go. You're, you're where you need to be. find forgiveness when you're you're in a place where you hear about Jesus, when you hear about what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you look back at verse 13, it says, it's a seat to show hospitality, or given to hospitality. Something interesting here, the word translated to mean given, can also be translated to mean received. Now, if you take it one step farther, we should search for and chase after every opportunity we have to be hospitable toward others. So when you're hospitable toward others, when you are showing hospitality toward another person, that leads to you serving each other, serving each other in a time of need, when they're having difficulties, when they need help. And Jesus modeled this for us in his life. In John chapter 13, he demonstrated this by when the disciples and him, when they were getting ready to eat, he goes and he grabs a towel. He grabs a, a basin full of water, and he goes to each disciple, and he bends down, and he washes their feet. And what he's teaching there is you have to be a servant. You have to be a servant to serve people in this church. You have to be a servant to the community. You have to be a servant to people that don't know about you. We have to humble ourselves to that point. We have to let go of, of what we think is important and look at what, how we can help others. Now, the Christian life it can be very challenging. The world, the flesh, can cause us to stumble. We can, we can have times of despair and we think God doesn't love us. There can be times that your heart is hurting and you think, Where's God at? Now, you, you have to remember to love one another as God loves us. God loves you. Remember that. God loves you. If he didn't love you, Jesus would have never died on the cross. Never would have happened. Because Jesus could have took himself off the cross. If he could bring a guy back from the dead, he can get off that cross and free free. Christian, we have to hate evil. We have to turn away from it. We have to love people as well. We have to remember we have to serve God the best that we can. We have to rejoice in knowing one day our time in the often hateful and dreadful world that we have here will be over and will be in heaven. That should be our driving force each morning we wake up. Is that, okay, I'm here another day. God, what do you want me to do? How can I serve you today? How can I help further your kingdom? 